<laughs> Good morning. Good morning, everybody. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Um, so I don't know if you've ever read uh, through the book of Hebrews. It is a, um, uh, it, it's, it's tough. It's actually one of the, one of the thickest, um, I think, of the, of the New Testament um, uh, books. Um, and and what, what happens is the writer, who we, we really don't know who the writer of the book of Hebrews is, but the writer builds, some people think it's Paul, some people think it's a, uh, it was actually a woman, uh, and um, maybe that's one of the reasons why we, we, history hasn't recorded who, who it was was the author. Uh, some people, uh, including uh, uh, Jason Poling, is convinced uh, that it was actually a sermon that was designed to be given um, but regardless, the, the argument kind of builds, um, and then in chapters 10 and 12 of the book of Hebrews, we get this kind of like hall of fame of faith um, that the writer uh, gives us, and it all kind of culminates uh, to chapter 12. Uh, and let's just read from that right of, uh, off the beginning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every Wait, and sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, or the, the pioneer, the, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Our elder team right now is, um, we're reading through this book called Canoeing the Mountains by uh, Todd Bolsinger. The book is, is on church leadership, which is why the, the elder team is, is studying it, but um, it's on like church leadership in an, an increasingly unprecedented ministry context of the 21st century. Um, but to make the point um, that the churches need to have a sort of adaptive capacity in these times if they're to survive and thrive, uh, the whole book is taught alongside the metaphor of um, the history of Lewis and Clark's Corps of Discovery expedition. If you remember your American history, Lewis and Clark had been commissioned by Thomas Jefferson to find a water route to the Pacific Ocean after Jefferson had purchased the territory from Napoleon Bonaparte. For generations of European explorers, the assumption was that there has to be a water route that connects the Mississippi River to the Pacific Ocean. We just don't have it mapped out yet, they thought. The thought was that there would come a time um, where just about everyone in the country, uh, the, the thought that there would come a time that, anyone in the, that just about everyone in the country could reach into their pockets um, and pull out a, a strikingly accurate map of every inch on the planet um, would have seemed outrageously ridiculous to Lewis and Clark. They didn't have a map. They were headed into uncharted territory. So, Bolsinger, Tom Bolsinger, he comments, he says, Lewis believed that he would walk up the hill, look down a gentle slope that would take his men a half a day to cross with their canoes on their back, and then they would see the Columbia River. After 15 months 
of going upstream, they looked forward to letting the current swiftly whisk them into the Pacific Ocean. They would crest the hill, find the stream, and coast to the finish line. They could not have been more disappointed. What Lewis actually discovered was that 300 years of experts had all been completely and utterly wrong. In front of him was not a gentle slope down to a navigable river running to the Pacific Ocean. What he saw was the Rocky Mountains stretching for miles and miles and miles as far as the eye could see. They wanted to get to the Pacific. They were going to have to learn how to canoe the mountains. They were going to need to learn to adapt. There is a hunger, I think, uh, uh, in the human spirit for adventure. I think there's a reason why we love adventure movies like Indiana Jones and, and National Treasure. That's why they appeal to us. At least they appeal greatly to me. There's something about exploration and question of, of what's the thing over the next hill? This happens physically, of course, as we read history books and we hear tales, we, hear, we see movies and we hear tales of, of men and women who trekked into the unknown. But, but personally, I'm also excited to hear of new territory being taken um, for a new business, of somebody who has a, has a heart and a vision for, for what a, a new small business could be. Um, or, or maybe um, a new vision of the new territory of, of moving into a, a new town, to, to move into a new state, a new part of the country, or a new part of the world. Um, as our country has aged, you know, we've wrestled as a society um, to take the new territory of, of civil rights, right, as we've lived into this self-evident proclamation that all men are created equal. The caution has been that those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. That very well may be true. Sadly, though, it often seems that history repeats itself whether we learn from it or not. Still, there's something so important about considering our past, tracing our steps backwards in order to aid us in understanding the paths forward. Or to put it another way, understanding the map we're on before deciding to go off the map into fresh territory. So our text in, in Hebrews this morning, it, it includes the phrase, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And what does that mean, right? The writer of Hebrews has just spent the past several chapters discussing the faith of those in the past. Abel, Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Samson, David, others. Hebrews 11 gives this quick Hall of Fame discussion of, of faith throughout the ages, even though, you know, you and I could turn uh, back in our Bibles and we can read up about how each of these individuals, at times, uh, their, their faith is, is certainly on, um, on display, but also at times their failures are also on display. At times they failed miserably at living God-honoring lives. Still, it's amazing that God still uses them as a part of the grand narrative, uses the most unlikely people sometimes to continue the grand narrative of redemptive history. And therefore, I think it's an encouraging thought that their story is our story. 
I think the phrase, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, it's calling us to see that that we are yet another chapter in the story of redemptive history. New Hope Community Church is 17 and a half years old. We started worshiping as a congregation in the spring of 2003 after our mother congregation, Grace Fellowship Church, decided to plant a church in Owings Mills. For the first several years, we met in a movie theater um, that has since been torn down. And for then uh, 10 years, we met in an old Methodist church called Stone Chapel. Throughout those 12 years, we were led by Jason Poling towards new territory and an understanding of the, uh, of Scripture at a deeper level. That was like the, the, the area that, that New Hope helped pioneer. It's like, we want to go deep as a church into Scripture. And also, Jason led us into to interfaith dialogue with Jewish neighbors. We, we want, as a congregation, we want to be pioneers. We want to go into uncharted territory of having evangelical, uh, evangelicals and, and Jewish neighbors side by side studying Scripture together. And, and that was, was so exciting to be a part of that. I, I'm grateful that I was a was a part of that. We even learned that, that ecumenism isn't a dirty word. The origins of the word ecumenism come from the Greek word meaning house. To be ecumenical is to intentionally break down the barriers that separate the church. If you confess as a church, as a Christian, if you are an individual that confesses Jesus is Lord, then you have everything in common with those of us at New Hope Community Church. As Bishop uh, Bishop Sutton from the Episcopal Church is is fond of saying, uh, at the heavenly feast there won't be a table for Methodists and a table for Lutherans and a table for Pentecostals and a table for those evangelical troublemakers over there. No, we're we're all going to be at the table together. In one table, in in one fellowship. It's one of the great tragedies of church history that such a thought, that such a thought of, of a multicultural, diverse table from different regions and different faith traditions, it is one of the great tragedies of church history that such a thought would be considered to be uncharted territory. But I'm proud to have been a part of a church that has had the courage to make ecumenism part of our DNA. Indeed, it was because ecumenism was part of our DNA that we were enlivened to take this this bold approach of moving to Catonsville in partnership with the Episcopal Diocese of Maryland. New Hope remains and will always be a non-denominational church, but my hope is that we will look for ways to move into the future by learning from the lessons of the past. You see, as as great as it is to study history and, and to learn from the past, the, the challenge is that, that if our memories exceed our dreams, the end is near. At the beginning of this series, we talked about how leaders are repeaters, and that anything worth saying is probably worth repeating, so let me t- say that again. If our memories, if, if, if what happened then exceeds our vision of where we le- believe God is leading us, the end is is near. If we are more focused on what God did back then and back there than what we, than when we are on, on where we believe He's leading us, then, then why are we continuing? On uh, August 30th, 1936, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave a speech at the dedication of Mount Rushmore, where he spoke of future generations 10,000 years in the future. He said, let us hope 
that at least they will give us the benefit of the doubt, that they will believe we have honestly striven every day and generation to preserve for our descendants a decent land to live in. It probably seems absurd to even think about humanity 10,000 years in the future. But what I respect about Roosevelt's comments is that he thought of the present moment as a building block toward the future. He hoped that future generations would give him the benefit of the doubt. He hoped that the future generations would give his generation the benefit of the doubt and hope the descendants would look back on the past in order to craft a better future for even them. Now, now don't get me wrong. Jesus could return tomorrow. He could return today. But it may also be very well thousands of years in the future. I love our, how simply the Nicene Creed puts it. The Nicene Creed says that Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. It makes no claims as to when. Maybe this afternoon, maybe 10,000 years from now, what he does proclaim, what he does promise, what Jesus does promise us is that throughout that time, throughout the time that the church needs to be the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against the ecclesia, the gathering, the assembly that is the church, not the institution. Institutions come and go, not local manifestations. Even local manifestations come and go. But the church, the ecclesia, the gathering, the, the movement of the kingdom of God that is the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against that. And if that's the case, why not dream? Why not craft a vision for the future? Why not take risks? Will we fail? You better believe it. But when we fall down, we get back up again because we've been promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against Jesus Christ's church. This is the final week of our four series. During this series, we, we, we've been asking the question, hey, what do we want to be known for as a church? One of the things that we've said that, that we want to be known for is loving Jesus. As such, we want others to, to love Jesus. We want to spread his message of resurrection and redemption and reconciliation. We want to be, in, in so doing, we want to be for our neighbors. We want to be for schools. We want to be for students and children and parents and young adults and senior citizens. We want to say yes to those who said no. We want to follow Jesus' lead to seek and save the lost. See, this is why our past can be a danger to our future. The moment New Hope's story becomes about our heritage rather than our mission, we have lost sight of why we started this church in the first place. I remember when we were studying the, the Sermon on the Mount last year, and we talked about how Jesus said that, that he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He, he came to fulfill them in order to give us a, a fresh teaching of rock on which to build the house of our lives. He built on what came before in order to create a path forward of our faith. And, and speaking of rock, this week, you know, it, it's funny how these, these things affect you emotionally in different ways, but I've got to say, when I heard that Eddie Van Halen died, I shed a tear 
there was something about his music that, that meant something to me, especially in my youth. And I saw this the other day, and I'm just processing this. I'm praying to God. I'm thinking, God, why, why Eddie Van Halen? Of all the, of all the people, why, why, why would that make me emotional? And, and um, I think that I had a conversation with, uh, with Brian Wagner this week, um, several conversations actually, and, and one of the things he said, he was listening to a podcast or something, and he said, you know, Eddie Van Halen created a whole new vocabulary for the electric guitar. It, it wasn't that, that he, 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 he discovered music. It wasn't that he discovered the guitar. It wasn't even that he discovered the electric guitar. It wasn't that he discovered rock and roll. It was that there was a clear delineation in rock and roll history between the, the, the music that came before him and the music that came after him. It was like he, he entered into uncharted territory. Jesus told us that, that Jesus, he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I didn't come to destroy any of that. I, I came to fulfill it, Jesus said. He, he was our founder. He, he was our pioneer. We're following his lead off the map. Jesus has led us into uncharted, uncharted territory. And in my opinion, it is when we have forgotten the mission. We have forgotten to follow his lead and we have wandered off into other parts of the map that, aren't, that he's not leading us towards. When we've done that throughout the 2,000 years of church history, when we've dwelled on the past, it's when we've encountered the darkest days of church history. 2020 has showed us all just how quickly things can change. And, and the past that we thought we knew is thrown into question, and, and we either, we have this option of either standing idle or cautiously choosing to take a step forward even in the midst of following Jesus. So as we close this, this four series, I, I just want us to, to briefly ponder three thoughts as, as we seek to consider uncharted territory for our church, and, and all three of them come right from this, this text in Hebrews 12. First, we're, we're called to, to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You know, too often, um, I think that we, we think of sin, we fall for the lie, we fall for the, the lie that, that sin is the things that we shouldn't do because God knows better. And that's not necessarily a lie, I just mean to say that, that sometimes we think of sin as like, just the naughty thing that God doesn't want us to do um, because it's against the rules or something like that. But, but not often enough do we think that, that one of the most deadly things about sin, it's not just against the rules, it keeps us from being the person that God wants us to be for the world. Sin hurts us. It hurts people that God loves, namely you and me. Sin isn't, against, isn't about breaking the rules it's about breaking intimacy with God as, he, uh, as we follow His lead. I mean, let me just ask you, does your heart ache for justice? Does your heart ache for more people to turn from God and repent and follow the gospel? Do, do you want to serve the poor? 
Do you want to advocate for immigration reform? Do you want to craft a better learning environment and better schools? Do you have a passion for education? Do you have a passion for business? Do you have a passion for leadership? Have you dedicated your life to science and the exploration of the natural world? No matter what it is, whatever it is for you, I know this. I know that sin is holding you back from being the person that God wants you to be for His world. Never doubt that greed and envy and lust and hate and all the rest is hindering you, not just from not living a great Christian life, it's hindering you from living out the things that you believe God is calling you to care about most because He cares about those things too. I believe that if the church is for all those things. I believe that the church should be for all those things. And if the church is really for all those things, then that means that one of the things the church is going to need to do is call out sin when we see it. Not because we want to shame people, not because we want them to internalize guilt, no, but because we want to empower them to to put down the weight of sin and empower them towards kingdom purpose. And that requires putting down the the things that are weighing us down. Psalm 51, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Let me say that again. O Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. The, the second thing that I'll mention is the thought that, that Hebrews tells us to run the race that we've been told to run with, with endurance. Endurance requires strength. Uh, endurance requires conditioning, which is why the church has to always continue to be an advocate for spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and Sabbath taking, where we pause the temporary in order to focus on the eternal. But to do all of that, it, it requires something special. It, it requires something difficult. It requires something that, that we, I think we can only get from the strength of God, and that is patience. I love patience. There's this quote from uh, N.T. Wright's book, After You Believe. If you haven't read this one, I strongly recommend it. He says, Patience is needed for the pursuit of all virtues, of course. Part of that same have-it-all-now culture as applied to Christian living declares that now that you're a Christian indwelt by the Spirit, you ought to be instantly holy. You want to be like Jesus Christ, pray this prayer, have this experience, it's all yours. No, replies patience and humility standing close behind. We shall learn the present lesson this week and the next one the following week and so on. We shall practice the virtues step by step, putting them on with conscious thought and effort, even though the clothes don't seem to fit us very well at the moment. We won't be distracted either by the glittering offers of an instant fix spirituality or the sneering charges that we're just putting it on, just being hypocrites. Patience, I, I believe that, that it's something between you and God, certainly, but, but I think patience requires community. I think that there's something about 
this process that, that, you know, if we go back to that Psalm 51 idea of, of asking God, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me. And I think God's calling us to do life in community. That's why house churches are so important to the life of New Hope Community Church. God is calling us to do life in community um, and call each other patience, calling each other to patience. When, when, when we struggle, when we shed these tears, when, we, when, we're, when we're coming to grips with our own depravity, coming to grips with our, with our own humanity, to be able to look another person in the eye and say, man, me too. Just give it one more day. Just, just one more day. Just, just a little bit more time, and I'm not leaving your side. I think patience is such an important part of community. Finally, I think it um, goes without saying, but Hebrews says it, so we should say it again, is that we need to look to Jesus as our example. Jesus, it says, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you might not grow weary or faint-hearted. I think it's so important for us to remember that Jesus is in the lead. Jesus, we're, we're, we're not making this stuff up as we go along. <clears throat> we're following his lead. You want to understand more about what it looks like to be for Catonsville, to be for Baltimore and beyond? Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read Paul's letter to, to Philippians. Read Hebrews. What it looks like, read anything in Scripture, what it, what it looks like for us to follow Jesus' lead is to, to, to look at him as the model. You know, I, I think that one of the most important truths of Christianity in general is that the cross is not just our instrument of redemption. It is the shape of our mission. The cross is not just the, the thing that God uses in order to go to the cross and, and, and pay the price dies for our sins in order to offer us new life in Him. Of course, all that is true, but, but then the cross also becomes the mission of the church. As we go out these doors, as we go out and, and be the church in, in, in all of those areas that we talked about before, education and school and businesses and, and all of that, all of that is, is, is to be modeled by the church, modeled by Christians. If you're a Christian, then that means you are called to a life of sacrificial love towards other people. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus' lead. Is it going to cost us something? Yeah. It certainly cost him something. But then, like Paul said, we're going to have nothing at times, but we're going to possess everything. Because those of us who say, Jesus is Lord. Those of us, if we're able to look each other in the face and say, Jesus is Lord, put down the weight of sin, have patience, give it one more day, give it one more year, give it a little bit more time, have patience and focus on the life of Jesus Christ who paid the price, who lived the sacrificial life. That's what it looks like to be for our communities. That's what it looks like to be the church. Let me pray for us. Thanks, good Father, for your faithfulness to New Hope Community Church. You have never stopped being faithful to us. You have continued to show us throughout the years, over the years, uh, just how faithful you are. Lord, we love you. 
Lord, we want to follow your lead. Help us to define the areas of of new territory that, that you would have us go in, but always help us to remember that we follow your lead. This is not about us crafting some um, ingenious plan on, on, on how to become Baltimore's next megachurch or something like that. No, this is about following Jesus Christ. This is about seeking and saving the lost. This is about being a church that cares to be for our community. Father, I pray that, that right now, if, if there, is a, if there are, is a married couple listening to this and, and they know that work needs to be done on their marriage, oh gosh, God, I just pray that, that you would do a work in them. That, that today would be the day that says, you know what, we need to attend the conference. We need to read the book. We need to, to do something to strengthen our marriage because when we strengthen marriage, we, we strengthen homes. And when we strengthen homes, we strengthen kids. And when we strengthen kids, we strengthen schools. And then it's just ripple effects throughout our community. Father, I pray for, for a business leader a small business leader, a large business leader, someone who, who is engaged with, with, with in business and has maybe people that, that work for them, uh, maybe today's the day they need to say, you know what, I need to start being for my employees. I need to start building into them. I need to start living a life of sacrificial love for my employees, even if it costs me something. Lord, I pray for teachers. I pray for teachers who are at the end of their rope trying to figure out how am I going to, to build into the life of students? What does it look like for them to maybe take a, take a break, for them to recharge their batteries? I don't know what it looks like, Lord, but, but do a work in them and help them see um, how grateful the community is for the work that they're doing. Lord, we could go on and on and on of the different ways that you are calling us to be for this community, but we know all we know that all of this comes from in following your lead. We want to follow your lead to become better husbands and better wives and better business leaders and better teachers, better students. Lord, we are so thankful for your faithfulness to us and we just want to take another step forward by your courage, by your strength, because you are the pioneer of our faith. Lord, I I ask all of this in the most holy name of Jesus Christ.